Love, peace, joy, and hope are all gifts to you from our incarnate Lord. Our text for our sermon is the gospel lesson, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. To remind you of that account, I will read the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the gospel of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there's the traditional representation of those Advent candles, Bethlehem, Mary, shepherds. And in this last Advent season, we worked our way through, although it's not quite as modern as just my life, the more modern representation of those candles, gifts that we receive from God, committed love, peace, joy, and hope that actually means confident expectation. But there's a candle in the center of those four candles. There's a candle that they're all connected to. Without what that candle represents, we do not have true committed love, God's committed love, and then giving us love towards each other. We don't have true peace. We don't have joy. We don't have hope, that confident expectation of salvation. They're all connected by that big candle that we light today that represents the birth of Jesus. And so today through our lesson, we see Jesus is the life and the light for all mankind. Now our text begins and it could be very confusing. In fact, Jehovah's Witnesses, the cult, when you argue with them about uh, the bit, one of the big differences that they reject Jesus as true God, they're very confused about this verse. But you cannot deny when you get to verse 14 who it's talking about. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we observed his glory, namely the glory as from beside the father, full of grace and truth. God's glory is his grace. We see his grace in our incarnate Lord, Jesus taking on our human flesh. And so, as I said, our sermon theme is Jesus is the life and the light for all mankind. So let's look at the life that Jesus gives, because there's really two kinds of life he gives. Allow me to to, uh, read my translation of the Greek. In the beginning, the word continued being. Never did stop to have a time when it didn't exist. It continued being. And the word continued being with God. And actually, the picture in the Greek is face to face. Now, the only thing that existed before God said, let there be light, was God. Says something about this word that is face to face with God. And the word continued being God. This word was with God face to face in the beginning. Everything was made through him and apart from him, not even one thing was made which has come into existence. Life continued being in the sphere of him and the life continued being the light for mankind. When we read the Genesis account of creation, we clearly understand God the Father at work in creation. You cannot deny the existence of the Holy Spirit because he is specifically mentioned on the first day. And the Spirit of God, the Rauk Adonai or Elohim was was hovering over the waters. But we find out who it was when God spoke, let there be light. That was the Son, because He is the Word. Almost every time in Scripture that God speaks, it is the Son speaking, with the exception of twice. 
at Jesus' baptism where he was publicly anointed, making it clear this one's the Savior. God the Father himself spoke. This is my son. And at that Mount of Transfiguration, after it, Jesus makes his way down to Jerusalem where he's going to die for our sins. God the Father himself speaks. Every other time in Scripture when you hear of God speaking, that's the word. That's what makes Jesus the word. He is the mouthpiece of the Trinity. And it is in his word that we find salvation. So everything was made through him and not one thing exists that was not made through him because whenever God spoke in that creation account, that was Jesus, our pre-incarnate Lord speaking. Life continued being in the sphere of him and the life continued being the light for mankind. What that means when we translate the original inspired Greek language that these words were written in is outside of Christ, there is no life. He's a fenced yard. You guys have provided a parsonage for me and there's a fence around the backyard. Everything inside that is, is, is my home. Your parsonage. But what's outside of that fence belongs to somebody else. Life only exists within the confines of Jesus. When God created Adam, he breathed into him. That would be the Holy Spirit. He gave Adam something far superior and different than the animal kingdom. It is kind of frustrating to me when you watch uh, television programs or read psychologists who try to look at human beings by comparing us to the animal kingdom. God did not breathe into any animal the breath of life like he did man. And what that means is we have rational brains. We have the ability to comprehend. We have a connection with God, although it was lost in the fall. And so the word became flesh. Brothers and sisters in Christ, don't kid yourself. You aren't nothing but mammals. You are a special creation and you have something very special. So all life, whether it be animal or anything else, has its existence because Jesus spoke it into existence. But human beings especially have life, an intimate connection with God. We're and, and we have a different kind of life on top of it all. For when you believe in Jesus, you have restored in you what Adam and Eve lost in the fall. That intimate connection with God, that harmony with God. And that's what gives us the love, peace, the joy and the hope. And so we're told he was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The word in the Greek that's used for knowledge is one gained through experience. I know you because I have served you for a year. I have talked with you. I experience you. But the world, even though it was made through Jesus when he was born, that baby we celebrate, it's an ordinary baby. That's it. Herod tried to kill it. That's a lesson for another day. So the world didn't recognize him. It didn't see its savior. It didn't understand. Here is my battery source. This is what gives me life. Even more so, God had set up a group of people, descendants of Abraham, through whom he promised the savior would be born. They existed as a nation to tell the world here. Here is where the Savior is going to be born. He was to be their relative. But we're told in verse 11, he came to his own, yet his own did not receive him. 
The nation of Israel only existed because of the birth of Christ, and they missed it. God had hid his godhood. We don't see a shining, glorious God when you see a baby born to a poor family. It doesn't matter that 1,500 years ago, one of their ancestors happened to be the greatest king of Israel. They were poor. The child literally is born in a barn, a cattle feed trough, his makeshift crib. Is that how you would expect a God to take on human existence? Wouldn't you expect him to be born in a palace of gold with the cushions of cribs? He came to give us eternal life to all human beings. He came to live in our place, so he hit the lowest common denominator to cover it all, all for us, to suffer and live in our place. We're told, yet to those who did receive him, he gave the power, interesting the word there is actually legal authority kind of power, to become children of God, namely those who continue believing in him. There's where the second kind of life comes from our Lord. When he sends his Holy Spirit into our hearts, we do believe that baby in that manger, that is God. He's hiding his Godhood, but he's doing it to save us. That man hanging naked on the cross who prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That definitely does not seem to be the work of a glorious God. But there is his glory because he stays on that cross for you and I. He was born for that moment when he would say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He was born for all the time in between to live perfectly in your and my place. And when we trust that that is God, that takes a miracle of the Holy Spirit... We have eternal life in him, not just physical life, eternal life. We are intimately connected to him. And so a life flows through us that is connected to to him. I love those words in verse 14, who were born not from blood, nor from the will of flesh. My favorite false theology to pick on is decision theology, because it's so prevalent and has so poisoned the Christian church here in America. People tell you, you have to make a decision for Christ. John here says that ain't what happened. You were not born, that eternal life was not given birth because of the will of human flesh. Not your will, not my will, not our decision. If God had put that in our hands, we would be walking dead, as are all unbelievers. No God even made that decision for us. God ruled over history just as he did to take on human flesh in perfect time. He ruled over history for you so that you would believe that baby's birth we celebrate this morning is our God. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, we see Jesus is the life. All life was made through him, but there's a special kind of life that we get through him. Eternal life. A holy life that is intimately connected to him for all eternity. So we see Jesus is the life, but we also have cut, want to cover that he's the light for all mankind. Verse 4 had said, life continued being in the sphere of him, and the life continued being the light for all mankind. And the light continues shining in the darkness, yet the darkness did not comprehend him. See, Jesus is the light When Adam and Eve fell, they lost the image of God. They became blind to spiritual things. If you ask human beings, how are you saved? Why should God let you into heaven? They will point to everything but the one thing that does. 
We are blind people in a blizzard of this life, a blizzard of sin, and we can't see anything. We grope and fill around in the darkness, but we don't have it. And so the word became flesh to shine the light of salvation upon us, to tell us it's not the way your sinful nature has doped you. It is that I have given it to you as a free gift. That's why we give gifts underneath to each other on this day, is to celebrate the true gift, undeserved gift, of God not just giving us his word, but winning us salvation, which that word tells us about. And so Jesus is the light. But here's the amazing thing, brothers and sisters in Christ. Once you know Jesus, you shine with his light. That light of revelation that lights us in the darkest night of this world. An example of that is John, who was the one that prepared the way for the Lord. We focused on him for two Sundays during the Advent season. And verse 6 says, There came a man who had been sent out by God. His name was John. He came for a testimony so that he could testify about the light so that all could believe through him. That man was not the light, but he was sent out in order to testify about the light. What makes Jesus the light is his very word, the same word that said, let there be light. And John was actually preaching the word and the word was working through him. He was like a reflector pole on the highway. When you're driving in a Wyoming blizzard, your headlights shine off that reflector pole and you know you're still on the road and you thank God and you creep down a few hundred more feet till you see the next one. That was John. He had a special role. But you know what? Your role is no different. When you know the Savior His light is in you because you're connected to him. You too are a reflector pole. Don't kid yourself. God uses your actions as a testimony to your neighbors saying, you're in the darkness. Follow the light. And when your neighbor comes to you and says, what's this light about? And you tell them about forgiveness of sins. Boy, is Jesus light shining off of you. What a beautiful picture we have of being reflector poles. He's the light of our salvation. Not only is he our salvation, he's the one that tells us where our salvation is to be found. So we're told in verse 9, the light, namely the true light that shines on all mankind, was coming into the world. And of course in verse 10 we're told that the world did not know him. Yet still, Jesus' light is seen when you share his word, even if you're paraphrasing it. He wants all men to be saved. He takes no pleasure in the condemnation of anyone. If anyone ends up in hell, it's their own fault. God has sent his light. He has sent you to those around you to see this wonderful light because he wants all men to be saved. And what does that light do for us? The Holy Spirit works through that light when it shines on us. So we are born not from blood, nor from the will of the flesh, nor from the will of man, but from God, because the Holy Spirit works through that very light, creating faith in us. And when we reflect that light, he's creating faith in others. So we see that Jesus is the life and the light for all mankind. We began our sermon with verse 14. Let's conclude our sermon with that verse. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we observed his glory, namely the glory as from beside the Father, full of grace and truth. The light is the truth. The light shows us that grace with these eyes, sinful eyes today, 
And when we stand before our Lord because of the eternal life that Jesus won for us, we will see that glory and grace with unsin eyes, with pure and clear eyes, because Jesus is the life and the light for all mankind. Amen. Let us conclude our sermon using a prayer from a stanza from hymn 193. Come now, incarnate word, put on your mighty sword, our prayer attend. Come and your people bless and give your word success. Grant us your righteousness, Savior and friend. Amen.